0: The young energy that you have in this clubhouse every single day has been a lot of fun.
1: Oh my gosh, dude. This is probably one of the better things I've ever been able to do with each year old.
2: JP likes to put uh, people in the position to sewer their teammates. Welcome to episode 19 of Digging In with JP and in Cibia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. And today, our guest is Devin Travis. Arguably the nicest guy in the Blue Jays, second baseman. A guy who's had an up and down year, but also has been healthy, which is a big thing for him considering the troubles we've had in the past. So we look forward to hearing from Devin. For the record, this is our penultimate episode of the season. We're going to have one more for you next week, wrapping up the Blue Jays season, but it's we're getting close to the end here.
1: Penultimate? That's, that is a above average word right there it kind of threw me off uh for a second but you're correct whatever that means I guess it's does that mean that it's a second to last
2: yeah second to last I guess that's the ten dollar word for second to last
1: well it is a second to last and the season is winding down and although you know we've talked about it it's a down season for the Jays I think that this last month has been able to prove a lot of uh excitement for the future um, Barucki with another outstanding start. I think I saw a stat where it was um, him and some pretty good company about four straight starts with three hits or, or fewer. Uh, you know, Jansen has had some good home runs in the comeback this last week. Uh, it's there's a lot of good stuff going on? Guriel continues to to grow. Our
2: guest last week, Rowdy Tellez, continues Tellez. to swing the bat.
1: Telez swinging the bat, so it's been it's been really cool to see this last month. You take all the positives. It'll be nice to see what Mr. Uh, Devin Travis has to say about you know how he feels about his his year and and the things that he's been able to learn. But it was nice to see him get over a hundred games because I think throughout his entire career he's shown that if he's on the field he'll be able to produce. Um, and, you know, this year he started off slow, but, I, you know, he's been able to, to get it going.
2: Yeah, this season could have been, you know, and I think it kind of looked like this sort of in maybe August, like it was just going to be a real death march to the end, and, you know, the record hasn't been good, but there has been something to watch down the stretch, which is a relief for those of us like you and I who have to watch these games to some extent. So, you know, a lot of, you know, you guys at home, if you, if the Jays are losing, you can just tune out we do not have that luxury. We have to keep watching. So it was good that there was something to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I think even though for the the Jays, they should, the, the fans, they should be able to, you know, kind of dial in on, on what the future looks like. Obviously, let's be honest, right? The team's out of it. You can see the seats that are empty. Uh, when the team was was winning and get, making it to the playoffs, those, those seats were pretty full. So... It's definitely a, an opportunity or a, not an opportunity. It's definitely something where, you know, you, you win, you have the people there, you don't you don't have the following, but I hope that people have been able to really check in and dive into a team. I know hockey's starting soon, so you know how that goes. Uh, I understand what the number 1 sport is. The old Raptors are coming around the corner here soon again, so I think people are shifting their their uh you know their their viewership and their their following to other sports but I I, this has been a very 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 good month for me to be able to watch the these guys these young guys and to see you know McKinney grow Barucki Sean Reed Foley Giles listen dude Giles has been freaking lights out we don't talk about Giles a lot but that dude has been really good and if you see every winning team they have a good closer they have to have one of the better closers in the league and I think the Blue Jays may have gotten a good deal in the sense of they got rid of one with some baggage and they got one that changed the scenery and it I mean he's been really 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 good yeah
2: for sure and I think that you know hopefully we can grab the last vestige of your guys baseball attention over the last couple of weeks I know you know John Tavares is very exciting Kawhi Leonard is very exciting it's a good time to be a Toronto sports fan but These Blue Jays worth the last, last little bit. And one thing I want to talk about today, there's going to be a lot of storylines coming out of this Houston series. The return of Roberto Suna, how the fans treat that, the reunion of the Gurriel brothers. But one kind of little thing that caught my attention today was some news I think went under the radar, which is that Aaron Sanchez got his finger examined again over the weekend. So he's going to be done for the season. Not that that really means much but it's an interesting time to take a look at what what the blue jays have in Aaron Sanchez right now because this is a guy who's so talented but now for two seasons he continues to have these finger troubles and it's such a frustrating thing i know for him personally just because it's a little thing you know if you if you break your leg if you tear your knee it's kind of easy to understand like oh i can't play but this is just a thing on his finger but you know that's his hand is his profession and it's it's really unfortunate what's going on with Sanchez right now, and it's starting to open up questions about where we go from here.
1: Yeah, I think there are questions, but I don't I don't think that there's questions of if he's going to be a serviceable starter in the major leagues and even a, a good, good starter. I mean, his, his ERA, although it's in the higher fours, I mean, that's been done not being healthy. And I know him. I know that he's pitched through a lot of stuff this year, and I think those numbers are not – congruent with his talent i think that his talent is is a lot higher than than what his numbers show i just think that again and i know not i think i know he's been dealing with a lot of stuff and when your job is to throw a baseball and one of your fingers that has the most pressure that carries the most pressure it's not a pinky that that is like on the outside of the ball it's one of the two fingers and i want to say is it the middle finger i believe Uh, so yeah the middle finger the, the middle finger which is the, the two fingers, your index finger and middle finger are what put the most pressure on the ball, are what help you spin the ball, are what help you sink the ball, are what help you finish with four seams and cutters. And I mean, you remember early in the year how many change-ups he was throwing because he couldn't really yank down on the on the ball, which is what he does. With guys that are right-handed throwers or left-handed throwers, whatever, the middle finger is what you yank down on the ball for breaking balls. And uh, when he was really good he had that breaking ball to go along with a fastball and a changeup, and so it's kind of almost in a boxing match with one arm tied behind your back and I think that's everybody knows how that's gonna go so that's been tough so what my point is is he's still gonna be a really really good starter I don't I don't need to question anything other than hey what are your What are you doing this offseason? That's my only question. What are you doing this offseason to make sure that you get back and you are 100% healthy to start the next year? Because if the Jays want to be able to compete in this division, which we're already seeing, the Red Sox and the Yankees are not going anywhere. And by the way, Tampa would be in the division lead of a lot of other divisions. So you're in a freaking dogfight for the next however many years with this division and how talented it is. So... He needs to be one of their horses. And if he's not, we're going to be in the same exact situation we are because we all see what pitching does is win games. And if they don't have their pitchers, Sanchez, Stroman, healthy, it's going to be you know, the old adage, up to creek without a paddle.
2: The thing that if I'm going to play the role of JPR and Sebia here and be optimistic, the thing that makes me somewhat optimistic about Aaron Sanchez's season – Is sort of that first part that you alluded to where he really had to learn to use the changeup as his primary, for lack of a better term, his primary secondary pitch. So the pitch that he used off of his fastball, because he used to be, you know, huge, heavy fastball with all that movement and then a hammer of a curveball, and that's basically what you were getting from him. And so I think this year, if he's able to get healthy, and that, you know, that becomes more and more of an if, if we're talking about something where for two different seasons he's dealt with a similar problem but let's say that he's able to get healthy and stay healthy i think he's probably learned a lot about his changeup this year and how to use that pitch and how to become more of a three-pitch pitcher and maybe down the line that can help everything come together if he gets that hammer curveball back
1: no doubt i think you know again you have to kind of look at the silver lining on some of these things and you're right i think it's sanchez it's going to help him because he's developed a very good third pitch as well and that's something that's going to be able to separate him when he's healthy and he's throwing that that sinker in the mid-90s and that he does have an above above average curveball to go along with now a really above average changeup. he'll be better because of it he'll know how to compete even more on the days that he's not healthy or he's not not all three pitches are not there which it happens a lot so you have to be able to learn how to compete with other things and i think that's something that strowman has been able to to learn as well that you know he was pitching with pretty much a not one finger because it had a blister on it and if anyone thinks that a blister is is easy something easy to deal with you're completely wrong because it's very tough thing to deal with but i mean again i think there's only there's only positives in the sense of what could come about it now the downfall or the only negative that I would say is his health. You have to question his health and is he going to be back? I believe he'll be back. I believe he'll be healthy, but that's the only really negative that you can question because other than that, he'll be better because of all the the stuff he had to go through this year. I think that he'll continue to be one of the best starters in the league, but the biggest thing is, is if he can be healthy the entire season. And I think, that it's a possibility, and we all have seen what he does when he's healthy.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's the unfortunate thing that's going to hang over his head now. Because when you have that for one year, and we saw that last year, it's like, oh, 2016, Aaron Sanchez, unbelievable season. 2017, okay, he had these injury problems. And now the assumption is, okay, he, that's behind him. Now he can go and be a horse again. Now it's been two years where he's dealt with similar issues, not exactly the same. But when you have two seasons in a row and now next year is going to be 2019 and be like, wow, he hasn't been that guy since 2016. It gets fair to ask those questions. And, you know, no one is doubting his talent. No one's doubting the hard work he puts in. Everyone knows Aaron Sanchez is a great guy and a great talent. But it's, it's going to get a little bit scary, especially if he deals with any issues next year. Then you have to start to think you know, is, could maybe moving him back to the bullpen be a thing. That's We're that's what I was going to say.
1: That's what I was going to say, is it is if it gets to be an issue, you you have the emergency shoot of throwing him in the bullpen. Because when he was in the bullpen, he was damn right dominant as well. So now that fastball goes up to 98, 99, and all of a sudden he is one of the better relievers in the league. So I think that's the good part slash bad part of dealing with somebody that has injuries. I think we saw it, you know, many Jays fans will know Dustin McGowan. When Dustin McGowan was a starter, he couldn't stay healthy, couldn't stay healthy, went to the bullpen and did pretty dang good out of the bullpen. There's a lot of guys that, that, you know, eventually maybe they can't, if they're dealing with fingers or this or that, whatever it may be, they can't get healthy. They realize, well, if we go instead of 200 innings and we throw them 80 innings out of the bullpen, we may get the the best out of them. So again, I think that's – that's if you had to pull the chute and kind of eject and, and figure out what to do, I think that's – if that's a downfall, I still think that you're winning.
2: Yeah, there. I mean, we've seen, like you said, he was an unbelievable reliever because he really could air it out in that high 90s range with the kind of movement he has. It's not just that straight as an arrow 98, which people can hit. But when you're 98 with the movement Aaron Sanchez has – that's really difficult to do. And I think a lot of Blue Jays fans maybe kind of lost track of Dustin McGowan, which is an interesting example you bring up. But he went on to Miami, and he, he pitched pretty well in a relief role there after his Blue Jays career, after he'd been through all these things with Miami, with, with the Blue Jays, rather, he was able to go again, you know, small market team. People don't really hear about him, but he had a nice little second act there. And if Aaron Sanchez is forced to have a second act like that, that's not what the Blue Jays are looking for. But it is, you know, it's better than nothing if that's where they get to.
1: Yeah. And as we see, I mean, think around the league now, too. Look at the Yankees, Boston, I mean, uh, Houston, Cleveland. Everybody has that two or three inning guy out of the bullpen that's dominant. And you need those guys kind of now for, uh, you know, to be able to compete because I think that they're seeing statistically the value of. You know, starter maybe going through the the lineup a few times, a couple times, and then the third time bringing in somebody else who can go through that lineup once to be able to get through uh, to get to the closers and stuff like that, or your eighth inning guys. So I think, you know, statistically and and numbers wise, and and probability and all these analytical things. If that is what happens, it's not the end of the world because you have that stopgap and a guy who can be really – he can be – I mean, his stuff is good enough to be a damn closer. So uh, that's – you look at – I would say an Andrew Miller is a perfect example. And here, Andrew Miller is a guy who was a starter with the Red Sox. I remember facing him with the Red Sox. All of a sudden, he goes to the bullpen. And, again, this is all hindsight. This is all him not being healthy but goes to the bullpen, and all of a sudden, he's the most dominant – three inning guy and he's helping teams get to the world series i mean so you have to be able to kind of look at these situations that's the fun part i think about uh you know making a team or putting a team together is when when something doesn't work out it doesn't mean that it's the end of the line it means like okay what, what can we do to get the maximum value out of this person and again if he can't stay healthy maybe that's the route you go
2: Okay, so our guest today is a good example of someone who had a couple of injured years and was able to put together a healthy year. So maybe a nice little uh, guy that Aaron Sanchez can look at as you know position player, pitcher, different thing. But again, an example of a guy who was able to straighten it out after a couple of years spending time on the shelf, and that is second baseman Devin Travis.
1: All right, so we're here with Devin Travis uh south florida one of south florida's finest i'll say that i can give him that he's that he's above me i'm a retired has-been guy still doing it and doing it well as ll cujay would say dev talk to me about your year tell me how you feel obviously you've been able to get on the field over 100 times, 100 games which is which is a good thing been able to be healthy and and then obviously learn um i think we all learn from our our struggles so talk about this year and, and what you think about it so far Hey, Nick, what's
0: up? Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, man. I, uh, no coming into this year, the thing I was, um, most excited about and looking forward to was being able to, uh, finish the entire season. Obviously that's something that, um, has been tough for me, uh, my first few years. And, uh, that was my goal from day one was to be able to walk out of this clubhouse the last game of the season. And, um, be proud that I got through an entire season. Um, my numbers are a little bit tough to look at when I step into the box or when it pops up on the scoreboard. Um, but I've also understand through this year that, um, struggles happen and, uh, no matter what, every single day you got to show up to the yard, uh, no matter how you played the day before, no matter how your numbers are, um, you got to go to win every single day. So, uh, yeah, just continuing to work and, um, Look forward to uh, better years number-wise.
1: Well, and, and here's the thing. At the end of the day, every time you've been out there, you've been able to put up good good numbers, I mean, from college to all the way to, to the big leagues. And I think the biggest thing that separates is, is just being able to, you know, kind of work on that on the mental side. I think everybody knows, obviously, the talent. For me, that was something um, that I had to learn, and maybe I learned it a little bit later, uh, and it was too late for me. But for you, still young, still a lot of ability – is there something for you, like mentally-wise, mentality-wise, that maybe this offseason you want to get into or, or, you know, work on and stuff like that? Because, uh, again, I think that could be, like you said, looking at the scoreboard when I was, you know, in the struggling, and my struggle was under 200. So you're doing a lot better than my struggle. Um, it was tough. And and uh, so mentality-wise, what have you been doing to try to, you know, to improve on, on just the way you look at the game and, and approach the game?
0: Uh, I think uh... – the biggest thing that uh, I've tried to work on and that I continue, I want to continue to get better at, is um, just canceling what happened. What happened the day before? Um, what happened to play before? What happened the at bat before? Um, and focusing on whatever um, is ahead. Um, you know, this game, as you know, uh, it's easy you get caught up in your last at bat or your last game or the error you made the last inning. Um, the thing I want to continue to push to to get past and, 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 and be able to do a better job of is just canceling whatever, whatever happened before and um, understanding that there's a task at hand and um, trying to take full advantage of um, whatever's in front of me.
2: Devin, the Blue Jays clubhouse has actually changed so much in the last few years. You're one of the longest tenured players, even though you're still a young guy. What do you think is the biggest difference being in that club in terms of when you first came up and you were the young guy and it was a lot of, you know, veterans, a lot of intense guys. And then now when you're seeing a whole new group of young guys come up and you're actually one of the guys who can provide guidance, provide advice to these guys, how different is that experience for you?
0: Yeah. You know, we were talking about that yesterday. Um, You know, just how fast things have changed. Uh, You know, when I got here in in 15 and even 16, um, you know, you look around the clubhouse and there were a lot of all stars, there were a lot of guys that have been uh, doing this for ten years or so and but uh, now when you look around it's it's a little bit different, um or a lot of it different. There's a lot of up and coming young guys who are full of energy and, and they're ready to go out there every single day and um win. I think that's the, the coolest part about the group of guys that we have now is uh, all they ever talk about is winning. Um that's great. Uh, Obviously, the other guys that were here before, all they did was win also um, and want to win also. But the young energy that you have in this clubhouse every single day has is, is been a lot of fun. Um, and it's been fun talking to the guys about, uh, you know, kind of some things that I've experienced when I really haven't even um, been playing this game too long in the big league. So uh, it's definitely a little bit different, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. because There's been a constant buzz of energy flowing throughout our locker room
2: Devin. one of the things that's interesting about you compared to a lot of the guys your age and sort of your generation is that you ended up getting off the social media off the twitter and instagram and all that stuff i think a lot of people i'll say our age because we're about the same age kind of live in that world and i was wondering you know we're a year on since you let that stuff go did you find that that helped you and that that made you a happier person? Cause I know there's a lot of people sort of in our cohort, uh, who are just glued to the stuff and it's kind of addictive almost.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, Twitter is really the big one that I got away from. Um, and it was just because after every single game you had, um, it's there. Um, it really does in a sense and a lot of different ways run the world. Um, It's how I used to find out all my information. I never really um, watched TV, so everything I found out was via Twitter. Um, And uh, for me, it was just the opportunity to uh, kind of put what could distract me, uh, put that to the side. And um, at the time, I was uh, rehabbing, and I just wanted to focus on um, the game of baseball. And and when I'm out at dinner, I didn't want to be sitting on on my phone at Twitter anymore, on on Twitter anymore. I just wanted to – kind of let all that stuff
1: go. Well, I'll tell you what. I was as a player, I said F Twitter cuz I was tired of keyboard war- warriors just talking shit all the time and pretending that the game was easy. So, that was one thing that I can say very freely that I was something that sucks and people don't realize that actually kind of gets to you cuz no one's harder on ourselves than us. Um, but I'll just leave it at that. For for you, obviously now you come to the to the yard uh, and you get to watch these guys. Not that anybody that you didn't think was a good player, but who sub- has surprised you so, mu- uh, so far the most?
0: Man, um, there's a couple uh, that really do stick out this month. Uh, Rowdy Telez. Uh, I see everyone's uh, very aware of what he's been doing lately. Uh, I've always known that he could really hit, and I always thought you'd have a lot of success at the big league level. Um, but I'm just so happy for him because of all he's been through this year really over these past two years and um, being able to to see um, how hard he works when he's up here and and how much he's loving um, the opportunity to go out there every single day and compete and he loves these big situations where um, we really need him to be the guy to drive in the winning run or the guy to move the guy over or he needs to be the guy that gets on to start a little rally so Um, Rowdy's for sure, Uh, the first one that pops to my head, and uh, Billy McKinney. He's been fantastic Uh, ever since he's come over here um, and had the opportunity to play with him. Hitting leadoff, he has good at bats. I feel every single time he steps to the plate, and he's a guy that, um, for me, when I'm in the dugout, I try to make sure um, I never miss his at bat because um, I really love his approach at the plate, and uh, he's a big time competitor. And I really think he's going to be a guy that can. Uh, carry this team going forward. Uh, the pitching's been uh, fantastic. Also, Ryan Barucki, Thomas Fanone, Uh I think the three things about those guys that really stick out the most is uh, they belong um, and they know they belong and um, they want to go out They go out there every fifth day or right in the fifth day and compete and uh, put up zeros on that scoreboard to keep the game close for the for the offense. So um, Those three guys have been fantastic as well and uh, this team man is, is really moving in a in a bright direction uh these young guys that are here uh, aren't just young guys that are filling roles uh they're guys that uh, really want to win and they will win and uh i think they can do it for a long time so but, yeah i don't want to leave out lord of either um that guy can he can really hit man he's got a swing that uh, you don't see someone around too often and to be that young it be his first year in the big leagues with the plate discipline he has and um, the things he's able to do at the plate and um, uh, you know he's a special one, and uh, I think he'll be a special one for a long time as well
1: nice well and and uh, although we do talk about baseball in the in this podcast, we like to be able to mix it up and talk about some other things. I had a question in the sense of haircuts because obviously we know how important haircuts are in the big leagues uh, we got. You have that barber, the barber j d that comes in there and cuts boys' hairs up and stuff like that. who do you think on the team has the worst haircut but that they think it's the best haircut
0: <laughs> oh man i I definitely would have said Gri, but he cut he cut he cut that hair so um he's all right now, but that for sure would have been a that would have been my first answer for sure. <laughs>
2: JP <laughs> likes to put uh, people in the position to sewer their teammates wherever possible. Uh, you know, pretty diplomatic there. One thing that <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about, because I'm not sure this, this many people know this about you, maybe because of less of the social media presence, but you have a big athlete in your family and your brother, Jordan Travis, who's a quarterback at Louisville now, dual threat quarterback. So I wanted to ask you, give you the opportunity for the record Who is the better athlete, Jordan Travis or Devin Travis?
0: Oh, (laughs) I, uh, I I think it's, uh, when it comes to being an athlete, for sure, I think my little brother is the easy answer. Uh, he's 6'3". Um, he's got muscles like my dad. Um, I didn't really get those. Um, he can really run. He can really throw. Um. He can be a real special one if he continues to to work at it uh, but uh I definitely would say that uh he's the easy answer he's probably been faster than me since he's been fourteen and stronger than me since he's uh, been fourteen and um, I've been looking up to him uh, since i uh, since I'm back in high school so um I think he's the easy answer for sure.
2: Devin, one of the most hallowed traditions on this podcast, If uh, before we let you go, final question, and I'm going to tie it to what you're talking about with college football because I think we've all had experiences of just parking it for hours at a time watching football, whether it's college or NFL or uh, in parts of Canada, CFL as well. What is your go-to uh, football-watching food, pizza, wings? Maybe you're a type of person who's healthier than that. If you're sitting down for hours and watching football, maybe your brother. What do you got in front of you?
0: I, th- I think you nailed it right there. Um, pizza, no doubt. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the fried chicken wings from Publix. That's one of my, that's one of my go-to's whenever I wake up in the morning. I'm excited to get back home and watch some football. Uh, I'll grab a couple bags of, or boxes of the, the hot fried chicken that's already prepared in uh, the Publix deli and. I'll take it home, and I'll probably have about ten too many. But, um,
1: awesome, dude! Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, Devin Travis is is the man, and again, thank you very much for being our guest on uh, the Digging In. So, see you soon.
2: cut off not quite as bad as alex anthopolis i think that's gonna go go down
1: way to go why do you keep on just hanging up on people just hey anthopolis was much worse than that And you just have a little patience. (laughs) Just like, oh, thanks for, uh," and then you just hang up on the guy. Jesus, please. I Uh, mean, it's not like this. It's not like this is a crunch for uh, second by second. Oh, we were two seconds off. Got to hit him. Got to turn (laughs) him into commercial.
2: Also, I mean, honestly, if there's anyone who doesn't deserve that too, it's Devin Travis, like absolutely nicest possible guy. Uh, Media's dream. Always want to talk to anyone. We'll thank you for asking him questions and bothering him. Like, sorry Devin uh, you deserve
1: better than that
2: and uh, you know I, w- I will actually, be better
1: actually just to prove your point he texted me before I could text him to say thank you and he said thanks homie so just shows you what kind of uh, human being and again um, guys that's why it, I mean it's 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 cool to get to know these guys and have these guys on because people I think need to understand how genuine these guys are c- good kind of guys they are and also how much you know you can you can tear some people down by some stuff that you that you uh put up on social media and i know that he didn't uh, say anything but as soon as i said what i said he was laughing and you know that that kind of it's tough man so you know you want to have your players and and have them and feel like they're a part of you and 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 get to you know have that connection through social media maybe think about the way you talk to these guys and write to them
2: yeah i mean it's you know you can criticize a guy for what he does on the field but most of these guys, by and large, and there's some guys who are not good guys out there as well, but most of these guys are good guys. Devin Travis in particular, a good guy. And uh, he definitely didn't deserve to be hung up by me. Definitely probably didn't deserve some of the abuse I'm sure that he got before he quit Twitter. And even like when he quit Twitter he was doing really well too, so I guess there's really no pleasing people.
1: No. No, and if they do it I'm coming after you. Okay. Next next topic.
2: Next up. Memory lane this week. Uh, I got thinking about on the game on Saturday, just sort of the way that Blake Snell mowed down the Blue Jays and that special season that he's having, maybe a Cy Young season, maybe he didn't pitch quite enough innings. I don't know. I may, I'd say i would probably vote Verlander, but whatever. There's an argument to be made for Blake Snell. It's a pretty strong argument. I wanted to know, JP, what the most special individual season you felt like you caught was you've referenced on this show before that 2011 season with Romero, his best year as being one. But I know that you've been a part of, you know, 2014 new Darvish, which was Darvish at the height of his powers, 2015, Chris Archer. That's a great Chris Archer year. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Was there a season that stands out to you like a pitcher season that you were kind of part of that partnership that you still look back on today?
1: Yeah, I would say, so first off, uh, Darvish was special, but I didn't get to catch him all of his starts. Uh, Archer was special, but I didn't get to catch him all of his starts. 2011 was probably the most special, special year for me in the sense of, one, it was my best friend that I got to catch every time out there. And two, he was unbelievably dominant. Like, uh, it was so much fun every day that that guy pitched Ricky Romero is that guy I would come to the yard and I was like these guys have zero chance I mean his stuff was so spot on that year um, I mean there was a month that he went an entire month of just only giving up nine hits so imagine as a catcher how cool that is to be able to go back uh, and to be able to do that with a guy every single day but if there is another person that I would say was a pretty awesome year for me um, to be able to to play with was mark burley and although he didn't have uh you know a phenomenal era in his sense right he had a four one but he you know he was a under he was a three eight year a as a career i think for me the most entertaining part of that year was Well, one, he got over the 200 innings mark again, which for me meant a lot. You know, I I watched this guy and how he goes about his business, and I wanted to make sure that I was able to – he doesn't shake, so I wanted to make sure that I put down the right fingers to be able to help him uh, get to that mark again, and he did. He got over the 200 innings, and I think it was maybe his 12th year in a row or 13th. And then uh, it was a special year because he started off not that great, and I always have – alluded to that that was my fault because that was the year I played in the world baseball classic and I didn't get to catch him a lot in the spring. So I didn't know him until probably a month and a half into it is when we really started getting rolling. And I think it taught me a lot as a catcher and as a player and and as a game caller and a lot of different things. So I think that was a special year for me in a different, in in some different ways Uh, was Mark Burley. I caught every one of his starts that year, but if you know, top to bottom, undoubtedly I don't think that there's ever a comparison you know 2011 all-star year for Ricky was was probably the most dominant pitcher I've ever caught for an entire season
2: and I think part of I think what goes on on our show in general is me wondering if this is the type of thing that players would actually talk about think about so If you're, you know, if you're gathered, you know, a bunch of 60-year-old catchers and you got some whiskey and, you know, some cigars going around, whatever. Bourbon, bourbon, bourbon. bourbon. Okay, bourbon. Is that the sort of thing people are like, oh, I, you know, I caught this pitcher this year, like his Cy Young year. Is that, or do you feel sufficiently part of the partnership that that is kind of an achievement in your career? Like I caught Cy Young pitcher in twenty. 2008 or blah, blah, blah. Is that, does that stand out enough? Is that a big kind of catcher thing?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously you take pride in it, but I think that you never you never take the credit for it. I think, it, you know, as being a catcher is is a tough one because you always want to pass credit to the other people um, when sometimes you know that you, you know, like let's say as a quarterback in the NFL, you know, you oh, you know, I had a good game, but the offensive line gave me time to, to pass or whatever. You know, I think that's something as a catcher, it's a humble position, and it's something that that you never want to take the credit because they're the ones that are throwing the ball and you're the one that's just putting down a, a suggestion. But I think what you're more proud about is the rhythm that you get into with a pitcher. and I think that's something that yes, you definitely talk about and you're like, man, you know, I remember this year was was so much fun with so and so. And, you know, people still ask me who was who was one of the best guys you ever got to catch or guys that you love catching as Ricky Romero, because, you know, 2011, man, I knew where he wanted to go. If he shook once, I knew exactly the next pitch I wanted to put down. And I think that's the fun part. Uh, And again, to be able to do it with somebody that was so dominant, he had four pitches really working for him um, that entire year so. I mean, yeah, you talk about it, but you never want to take credit for it. I think it's just more being able to say, you know, it was a fun time and we got to really work together. But uh, to be able to take the credit and give it to, you know, give it to myself when the guy is the one throwing the ball, I don't think I could ever feel um, good about myself. But, uh, you know, so I, I think you definitely talk about it. But you know what? You know, the way this conversation started was about Snell. And I think at the end of the day, there's not one person in, in the American League that I think is is more deserving of the A. L. Cy Young than than Blake Snell. And and I would argue with any analyst and any Babbitt and blah 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 and this analytical stat and that analytical stat. The dude posts every day and he's freaking unbelievable. He plays on a he's he's I think that he's by himself made that that team be where it's at today. Because of the way he goes out there every single every single start and does what he does, I think everybody feeds off of it. To do it in the AL East, he's got to start against the AL East, which is obviously the toughest division as far as the top three. And even, I mean, you're not going to sell out Toronto as far as hitters. But what he's been able to do, man, with that team and, and when this division, I don't think that there's anybody to really even compare to I think it's it's maybe because he's a Tampa player and so they don't get as much, uh, you know, following. But statistically, he's my guy.
2: Okay, well, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to do the whole... Huge Snell Verlander debate.
1: No, no, we're not. Because I'll I'll go through I'll go through my computer and I'll throw a right-handed haymaker right to the chin. And I know you got a soft chin because your beard is not as big.
2: Oh man, that's uh that's actually a classic quote from my grandmother. It's like the only men who have beards are if they have a, a I think I don't know if soft was the term. I think a weak chin. A man who has a beard is just a man with a weak chin. He's trying to cover it up. I don't know if I buy that, um, but. I respect the logic because I do think there's some guys out there with a beard and they're trying to cover some of the, the giblets, if you will.
1: Well, whatever it is, I'm just going to say that you have a weak chin just because I want to talk crap to you.
2: All right. We're going to go outside the nest for this one at the end. And this is Ichiro on Sunday. I, I wish sometimes we I I notice stories and we talk about it on the podcast and it's so visual. I'm like, I'm trying to explain to you what Ichiro having a pillow fight with the Texas Rangers mascot looks like. It's, it's hard to convey in this medium, but you guys go look it up for yourself. It's pretty funny. And the weird thing about Ichiro is that he, he dresses up in uniform every day. And I've seen him down at the Rogers Center. He goes through his stretches. He basically acts like a player. But essentially, it's really
1: weird. It's weird.
2: Since May, he's been not retired, but moved to a non-player role. He's a special assistant. What's the exact title? A special assistant advisor. But he hasn't retired. Retired. Yeah, it is weird. It's very weird. He hasn't retired. I've never seen a situation like this. He hasn't actually retired. He's just not a player, but he acts like a player. He takes batting practice. Yeah, he
1: does the whole thing, and then he just sits in the dugout and can never play.
2: And he said, oh, well, I'm not going to retire until I'm in crutches or some quote to that effect. It's like, you're not. he's not good anymore. And I I don't want to rag on Ichiro because it's very bizarre, the situation, but he's an incredible player. And not, he was an incredible player. But he's a Hall, Hall of, of famer. famer. He's a Hall, he's of, fame a Hall of Famer.
1: Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. He, you,
2: you know, if you want to cut it a certain way, you could call him the Hit King. I don't know if it's that's not really an argument worth getting into. I think that he deserves a lot of credit for the hits he got in Japan. At the same time, you know, Pete Rose is the Hit King. I'm just wondering what your memories of Ichiro is, because I think that I find it very unlikely that he's going to play again. I think this is, in a weird way, the curtain call for Ichiro and kind of the least traditional curtain call you could possibly imagine. I think this is probably the end. And so I just wanted to get – I'm sure he's a guy that, you know, obviously he stands out. He's a guy people notice. So I wanted to know if you had any thoughts or memories on uh, Ichiro because you pl- at the time you were playing against Ichiro, he was still kind of at the tail end of his prime. Like he was a real player at that time.
1: Yeah, no, he was, he was one of the most difficult outs as a hitter. I mean, even just pitching to him was always – he was one of the harder guys that I had to call a game against because you don't know uh, where he was thinking, what he was doing. He could put any ball really in play, and even if he mishit it, he would flip it into the left field and get a hit out of it, and then you knew he was going to try to steal. Uh, defensively, he threw me out by 15 feet one time, so that was pretty fun because he had an absolute cannon uh, in, in the outfield. So, I mean, he's one of the more special players to ever play this game. And he was always a character, and I mean, it was funny because everywhere he went, you have a huge Japanese crowd, and every time you hit a ball, it could have been a, a jam job, fly ball back to the pitcher, and the crowd would have gone crazy until the other team caught it, and then they realized that it wasn't gonna be a hit. But I mean, he was unbelievable, special, and the biggest thing for him, and this is something that I wish that if you know, I wish I was mic'd up and uh that this was there was video of this, but Munanori Kawasaki and him were obviously, you know, buddies. And so Munanori Kawasaki, every single time that we would play and it was against Ichiro, he would give me a new phrase to tell Ichiro every time he'd come to the plate. So there was one time that he that he had me say something and I won't say it because I think I don't know if it's right or I don't know if it's it's a good or a bad thing. I just said it but it was so funny cause Ichiro was getting into the box. And then I said what, what Kawasaki told me and he started like laughing really hard and stepped out of the box. And he said like, Oh JP it's so funny. And I was like, Oh my gosh, dude, this is probably one of the better things I've ever been able to do with Ichiro because he, he was always very serious. So he like looked at me and he was like, Oh funny. You're crazy, man. And I was like, I, I don't know what I just said. Uh, Munonora Kawasaki told me to say it and it could have been who knows what it could have been but uh that was one of the things because he was like digging into the box and he had to step out and kind of laugh and he was like telling me how funny I was because of what I said but that was my that would be one of my greatest memories of Ichiro and it was and it was uh you know something that was pretty cool uh, again I hope that I didn't say like hey dude you know, I smell like crap and I suck. And that's why he was laughing because I was making fun of myself. Hopefully it was something good.
2: I don't know. Knowing what we know about Muninori Kawasaki, that guy had, you know, a devious and creative mind. I'm sure that he set you up with something solid. Now I think that's there. We're just talking about bourbon and cigars and old man stories. I think that's one you can hold on to because Ichiro is going to be a guy that people remember forever and, When he first came into the league, I remember watching, and I had sort of just started becoming really, really interested in baseball. And he would come and face the Blue Jays or whatever, and we listened on the radio or watching it. And they'd say, you know, this guy's got a 365 average or whatever it was. And I'm watching, I I couldn't even believe it because it seemed like he got a hit every single time. Like even these huge numbers he put up seemed like they were much lower. I was like, how could you possibly get this human being out at the height of his powers? I didn't even understand. It just seemed like he had the ability to dribble it down a line or flip it over someone's head, or he just, he had the sense, the sixth sense for finding holes places. And um, yeah, he's, he's unlike any player I'd seen before. And he's unlike any player I've seen since. And I don't know when we're going to get the next Ichiro, especially because the way the game's going, it's more about driving the ball and exit velocity and top end power. And, it could be a long time before we see the next Ichiro type.
1: Uh, Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, you never know where the next Ichiro type is going to be out of. I think there's, you know, the game is, is starting to be able to identify, I think, again, runs, the importance of runs and stuff like that and, and on base and, and, you know, stolen bases. It's, all those different things are, are I think, are starting to pop their heads out a little bit more and be more valuable so we'll see what happens. But again, I know for me, like you said, it's, that's definitely a, a time where I'll have a, a glass of bourbon and I'll be able to tell some stories and he will be one of them that I will tell.
2: All right. We are going to finish off the way we always finish off, which is with JP Career Trivia. And this is one where it's possible that you could correct me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stake my life on the information I've gathered here. But uh, one thing that we've talked about on the show a little bit, is position players pitching and we've talked about your pitching experience and we've talked about Kendris Morales and his surprisingly decent pitching experience and so I, one thing that you've mentioned is that you know you always thought wow we embarrass, when you go up and hit against a position player pitching it's a no-win situation because either you're going to be embarrassed or you're going to get hit and it's like well I should have got a hit anyway so I dug through and I tried to figure out when has jp faced a position player pitching and what did he do and again maybe there's an instance you can find maybe in the minor leagues that to be fair i didn't look at that um that you can add to what i found but i only found one instance so right now you're at the 26 for 52 in career trivia the solid 50 percent and this is for two points so who have you faced who is a position player pitching in the major leagues, and what was the result of that at bat?
1: Uh, oh, gosh, this is going to suck because I literally have zero idea. Um, I, I'm going to need a clue. I'm going to need a, a team, possibly, that, that I've faced.
2: This guy played for a lot of different teams. I, kn- I don't know if the team is going to help you. I will say that he was a he was a very big power hitter in both a literal and figurative sense.
1: Oh, Adam Dunn. There you go, Adam Dunn, Adam. Twenty fourteen. Yes, Adam Dunn. And I want to say I don't know what I did, but I know that I probably got out.
2: Okay. You did you popped up to first base. Uh, which is in foul territory, which is pretty, pretty not great for that type of situation.
1: Not, not true. That's actually an awesome for that type of situation because I was not going to strike out. So that's all I know. I didn't strike out against a position player. So that's, that's fine.
2: So what is that experience like when you walk in and you see Adam Dunn all 6'6, 285, and that's the listed weight? We don't know what he was actually at. Uh, just stepping up to the mound because you don't see a lot of guys like that
1: well i i think any like i said anytime that it's when when you go into the dugout so the way it kind of happens is is when you go into the dugout and a position player takes the mound it's like everybody in the dugout's like oh crap look who's on the mound and then so you look and it's a position player and if you're up that inning you're like f me i gotta face this crap because again it's a lose-lose situation if you're on the bench and you know that you're not coming up, at least for a few hitters, you're like, yes, I don't want to have to face. I hope the guys in front of me get out so I don't have to face them because it's a lose-lose situation. So, I mean, it's it's just one of those things. You get on deck, there's zero adrenaline. You get on deck, you're not focused. You're kind of like just messing around. Then you get to home plate. The Usually the you're laughing and then the pitcher's laughing so – it's just a tough at bat to really engage in. So I mean, it's it's kind of a joke all the way around. Um, and again, I, I always thought it was funny when pit pe- when people are like, "Oh, he didn't let up any runs. He should be in the bullpen." It's like, no, dude. This just no one. These at bats are like, I mean, no one really wants these at bats. There's if there's anyone in in that's in a dugout and is like, "Oh yeah, I get to hit a f- baseball. I get to hit a position player." I'm gonna pad my stats. Then guess what? You're a douche. So, uh, I mean, so that's that's kind of why. I mean, it doesn't. No one really gets excited for it. But it is funny. And if you strike out, then everybody in the dugout gets to laugh at you and make fun of you.
2: So a couple of facts about this instance. Uh, this was on August fifth, twenty fourteen. It was a sixteen to nothing game, and this was the ninth inning. So that is about as classic a position player pitching as you get. And then Adam Dunn, you know, take this for what it's worth, because sometimes the pitch categorization with position players is a bit wonky. But apparently, he had a fastball averaging 80.7 miles per hour. Not the worst you're going to see from position players. He threw that 86% of the time. And then he had a slider at 77.5 miles per hour. Again, that's kind of iffy. Probably just threw a little bit of greasy cut on that. He threw that 9.1% of the time. And then he had a chain he had a curveball at 74 that he threw 4.5% of the time. So Adam Dunn had two different off-speed pitches, apparently.
1: Well listen, Adam Dunn, for people that don't know it, was going to quarterback at the University of Texas. So this dude has an absolute cannon of an arm and is a really good athlete. So don't let the size fool you. But this dude was a, a very, very, very good athlete. So if he wanted to throw it hard, he could have reared back and and throwing the heck out of it i'm sure he pitched in high school but again no one wants to be in that situation and again i'll say it if you're a hitter and you want to be in that situation because you want to pad your shots then you're a,
2: a douche Stats, that's are worth money come arbitration time you know you gotta stay focused get that dinger
1: all right, then you're a douche.
2: Yeah, well, maybe if I'd made the big leagues it w- I would have been a douche, who's to say? Who's to say how that would have changed my personality? If,
1: if you made the big leagues, what about now?
2: <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, I think at this point the my only option for getting to the big leagues would be to develop an amazing knuckleball. I think that No, like, I wasn't
1: I wasn't talking about you getting to the big leagues. No. I'm saying you said if you made it to oh, the big leagues, could you have been sorry, a douche? Sorry, I, I I guess, I'm saying,
2: well, what about now? I guess that's pretty douchey to interpret a comment in a way that only involves me not being a douche. So, you know, there's an argument to made for that. Uh, I can work on my knuckleball, though. I'm still, you know, I'm only 27 now. So if I work on that for five years, maybe I'll get a shot in my early 30s, have a nice little career.
1: Yeah, well, you need to shave so people think that you're a little younger because right now you're looking in the mid-30s-ish um, <laughs> and start getting working on that knuckleball because it's it's uh it's getting a little late here kid yeah, I don't,
2: unfortunately, Canada's birth records are pretty tight, so I don't think I'm gonna be able to fool anyone there
1: uh yes, that's a hundred percent accurate, and um I would like to say that my birth certificate is correct as well, even though um I know that it's not always the case for everybody, but I am th- all of thirty two will be th- turning thirty three uh come January. 2019
2: all right thank you for providing your approximate birth date so people can send you presents in 2019 this has been the penultimate episode of penultimate season season one of digging with jp and sevia thank you for watching continue to subscribe find it on itunes wherever you find your podcasts and we will see you next week for the season finale
1: see ya